Welcome to season six of the Digital Orthopedics Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Stefano Bini. This season features eight sessions from COVID-19, the orthopedic recovery, a virtual summit powered by DocSF, the Digital Orthopedics Conference, San Francisco. It was streamed live on May 29th, 2020. The summit was a global conversation on the challenges of resuming patient care in the context of an uncertain future and an ongoing pandemic. Let's join over 1,000 registrants from around the world and the world-class speakers DocSF is known for on the DocSF virtual stage. Welcome to our session on managing a changed workforce. I am so thrilled. I'm Shauna Butler, and I am thrilled to be here with the DocSF Orthopedic Recovery. And with me, I've got Iman Abuzaid, who is a physician, an entrepreneur, a risk taker, and somebody who's out there helping us to think about and solve the workforce problems. Um, and in particular, Iman, why don't you say a couple of things? First of all, say hello. <laughs> Hi. Hey, everyone. Yeah. So we have this amazing audience that's joining us from all over the globe. And we just listened to Brian Schwartz give us an update on what we understand about the virus. And he's doing it from an infectious disease, looking at the virology, trying to understand a lot more about what we're doing with treatment. You actually have been in the thick of working with the people who are actually taking care of patients and the hospital systems. And we want to we want to talk about this changed workforce that we've we're hearing a lot about. But before we do that, to really help us understand the change, I think we need to understand where we were with baseline. So why don't you give a little bit of background around Incredible Health, what you guys do, and then um, we'll go in through some, you know, some of your presentation to take a look at the the, the underlying challenges that exist within our workforce. Sure. So I'm the CEO and co-founder of a company called Incredible Health, and it is a career marketplace for healthcare workers. What that means is hospitals and health systems, they use our platform to hire nurses in permanent roles in less than 30 days. It normally takes 90 days or longer. But you've um, actually turned what? this on its head. I was going to say, this is not, yeah. so I, I think from the standpoint of it's a it's a it's a marketplace, but you flipped it on Co its head. Correct. Um, so there's three unique things about our marketplace. The first is that the employers apply to the nurses instead of the other way around. Uh, mm -hmm. The second thing is we've automated a lot of the screening of the nurses. So because we've integrated with so many databases, we can confirm things like licenses and certifications and malpractice records and so on. And then we've also built highly customized matching algorithms. So if you are a recruiter at say Cedar Sinai and you log in. You don't want to see 200 nurses. You want to see 14 that are the right fit for you. And similarly, if you are an experienced, specialized nurse, you don't want to hear from 76 right. employers. You only want to hear from four that are the right fit for you. Right. Okay. And so the end result of all this is hiring happening in less than 30 days instead of 90. Salaries on average go up 17% for nurses. Commute times go down uh, by 20% for nurses. So uh, there are a lot, lot of benefits and impacts of this. Yeah. And um, why don't you, is now a good time for us to start with your presentation? Sure, sure. Okay, let's go ahead and bring your slides up. All right, so I mentioned hospitals and practices use our technology to hire high quality permanent nurses in less than 30 days. We are based in San Francisco. We are a team of MDs, RNs, software engineers, and we are healthcare and matching technology experts. 
Um, a little, just a little bit about me. I am a medical doctor by background. I do not practice at all anymore. But what I do, uh, what I've done in the past is I've worked in hospital operations and strategy. And my background is in, is in technical product management. And the reason I started this company is a lot of my friends and family members are doctors and surgeons. You have quite a few in your family. Yes. Do, yeah. <laughs> and they are often complaining about understaffing. It is a, usually a pain point for many clinicians, uh, not having enough staff. And then at the same time, my co-founder, who's a software engineer from MIT, his sisters are nurses. And they're saying, even though I'm experienced, I'm qualified, it still takes me months to get my next job usually, uh, yeah. which is just not at all what, how it should be. Um, so the data that, I, that I'm going to be uh, going through and the information I'm gonna be going through is pulled from, from our clients. This is just a small selection of them. So we work with academic medical centers, like just such as Stanford and Cedars-Sinai. We work with very big health systems like HCA and, and uh, Prime and Baylor Scott and White. And we work with a lot of uh, community hospitals too. And we do have a presence nationally. And so this, this, this is looking at throughout the US. Yeah, and I was just going to notice um, Providence St. Joseph's is quite prominent at this moment, the first health system in the country to be treating, that we were aware of, that we're treating COVID patients. Yep. That's right. So I, I do, I do want to spend a couple of minutes just giving the lay of the land before COVID, right? So what, yeah. what was this market like? What was the workforce like even before the pandemic? So the challenge we were all dealing with is our demand for healthcare as a country keeps going up right? Our population is getting older. There's just more and more demands on the health system. But at the same time, the number of workers was not increasing to meet that, that demand. And so healthcare in 2018 became the biggest employment sector in the US. There are very similar trends happening in other countries too. And so in today, one in eight Americans works in the healthcare system. Actually, the other thing mm -hmm. on that is the average age of a nurse. Yeah, that's right. The it's, average. It, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead, Shauna. Yeah. It's it's in the high 50s, um, depending upon the specialty. So average is about 54, but in the surgical specialties, it's actually a little bit higher. So we talk about this in terms of numbers, but we also don't really talk about it in terms of a gap around expertise. So Absolutely. that that seasoned nurse who's been working in your ORs and your EDs, who's got 20 years of clinical acumen, is there? there's a different skill level is you can't replace just, it's not a numbers game. That's absolutely correct, right? It's, it's even harder to hire <laughs> specialized. Right, and, and say, well, <laughs> I, I bring that up when we yeah. talk about those numbers of the shortage, mostly because that group of nurses are set to retire, just like the aging population, that, right. that workforce population. So we were already set for a huge um, set of uh, retirements. Correct. Uh, and then we also can't train nurses fast enough. So in terms of the new nurses, so like it's exacerbated on both sides, those that are retiring and those that, you know, we, we don't have enough training to, to get more nurses into the workforce true, as well. Um, so, so how does this end up impacting the actual numbers, right? And the number of days to hire a nurse for an open position is increasing and it increases year over year now. And it's the average, our latest data shows that it's 82 days. Now for OR nurses, for specialized experienced nurses, it is consistently over 90 days on average to fill a permanent nurse position in the US. The other thing that's happening is that labor as a percentage of revenue go is going up. As the labor market becomes tighter and tighter and the shortage becomes more acute, the cost of hiring a nurse continues to go up. Their salaries are going up. It's, and so therefore, as a percent of your, your total revenue, labor is taking a bigger, bigger chunk of it. And then the other thing that's happening is turnovers increasing. 
Now, um, the latest data we, we have is uh, for nurses is that it's the 19% is the annual turnover for nurses in the US. That is exacerbated by the shortage because when you are understaffed, you are more likely to quit. Yeah, it's it's hard to work in those environments. It just you know, so once the you you have um, a reduced or a higher workload, then it increases the amount of people who are leaving those roles, which just is a nasty cycle to be right. in. And so, just a quick comment on the cost, right? The cost of the shortage. When when a hospital, for example, is understaffed, they are spending on overtime and on travel nurses. Those two things, contract workers and overtime is usually one and a half to two times more expensive than your permanent nurse. So that means executives are under a lot of pressure to reduce overtime and contract labor and increase their permanent staff because it is impacting their bottom line. The other thing that's, so just quick overview on the numbers, at any given time, we are short 300,000 nurses. By 2024, we will be 1 million nurses short. This is the biggest skilled labor shortage we have in the country. And the average time to hire continues to increase. Now, I talked a lot about the costs. I do want to spend a second to talk about the, the quality and other quality of care and the other impacts this shortage has. So we talked a little bit about, it's important to know that when the shortage is, is, is present, burnout increases of existing staff and turnover increases. When a nurse is working more than their average eight to 12 hour shift, they are 2.5 times more likely to quit, right? The other thing that happens is the suicide rate for nurses, unfortunately, is 45% higher than the average American. Yeah, I'm just saying when we talk about they're likely to quit, most of the reasons that they quit is because of this moral injury. They, they see that they are not able to deliver the care that they'd like to. We see that errors go up, that patients are harmed. So there's direct impact between the stress level and the staffing levels and the quality of care and the overall health and well-being of every single member of those uh, of that care team. Uh, absolutely. So the other the as you pointed out Shauna a big impact is the quality of care, right? So some of the data we have is when a nurse is working more overtime beyond the 12-hour shift, he or she is more it, it increases their medication errors by 20%, right? right. simply just because of fatigue, right? Patient mortality at, at hospitals that are understaffed goes up by 4% when they are understaffed. And of course, so ultimately the fatigue, the quality of care impact trickles down to patients. And so patient satisfaction, of course, goes down. Physician satisfaction goes down. Nurse satisfaction, of course, goes down. And this is all ex further exacerbated by the intense competition for, for talent, for, for nurse talent. Yeah. Um, so I did want to spend more time talking about COVID-19. So now, okay, fast forward. We, we got the lay of the land, the pandemic hits, what is the yeah. impact on the workforce, right? Yeah. So, so in that, from the mm -hmm. standpoint of, let's be really clear, I want to, to, I think it's important to level set and to just make a very important statement. All of that information that you provided just now, all of those stats where we were talking about shortages and stress levels, that was before the pandemic. That's that correct. was before. All right. Exactly. Um, and so... Now we have had, we've heard these stories, we've seen images, we're developing an understanding as best we can because many of us are not inside. And the other part that has been so unusual and interesting is because there have been no visitors allowed in hospitals. Again, the exposure that pu the public has to how difficult these, this care environment is, and actually all of our non-essential staff. So many of the administrative staff, they are not there as well. 
So it's, you know, we're going to put some numbers and some, some words around all of this to help people understand what the impact of COVID has had on our workforce and why they're changed. So um, do you want to go through the numbers first? We have a video that we wanted to share to try to give some some images of that. Do you, do you think yeah, we should do the numbers first or yeah, do the we'll, video first? Let's do the nurses, let's do the numbers, and then we'll switch to the, to the video because the video okay. gives a lot of color. So we had done a very detailed uh, study on nurses and how COVID-19 is impacting them. We conduct, conducted this study in April. When we published it, it was covered by Bloomberg, Becker's Hospital Review, Yahoo News. And, you know, it, may, it made news because I, the mainstream media and honestly mainstream audiences don't fully understand the impact that COVID-19 has, happened, ha has on healthcare workers. And so specifically some of our findings, just a couple of examples. So two thirds of nurses uh, said their facility does not have the appropriate PPE to properly protect themselves. Another thing, 59% uh, of nurses said they, they, do, they do not feel adequately supported by their facility to deal with the added stress of COVID-19. And only 2% of respondents said their facility was very prepared to deal with COVID-19. So I'll pause there so Shauna can show the video to give some yeah. more color on, on you know, the stories behind these numbers. Yeah, and before we go to that, um, some just some added numbers that I think are really important is study that was done in um, in Wuhan. So it was um, published in JAMA Open Network. They talked with thirteen hundred frontline care provider. Well, front they they talked with thirteen hundred people who were working at thirty four different hospitals. And what they came out of that is that more, I mean, significant number of people, um, upwards of fifty percent you know, even on some of the dimensions of mental health and mental well-being, 72% were describing how they were having signs of depression, anxiety, difficulty sleeping. So this huge number, and they actually called out in this study how it was affecting nurses, and they specifically said women. Um, so it's, a, it's an interesting study that um, is in the JAMA Open Network. So can we go ahead and roll with the video, please? Especially, you know, now that we all watch movies about superheroes, like, heroes aren't really people. But we're meeting it as people who are fallible and imperfect and tired and cranky and... Terrified. Frustrated. Tired. And overwhelmed. As I'm getting ready for work, I'm scared. It's terrifying. Scared. I'm anxious. But I'm also thankful and I'm very hopeful. <laughs> I have been a respiratory therapist for nine years, primarily working in adult critical care. I've been an ER nurse. For I have been a NICU years. nurse for 19 years. I've been a nurse for 20 years. I've been a nurse for over 30 years. I'm a doctor. I work in the post-acute care world. I'm a registered nurse. We are healers. As a healthcare provider, this is something we've always trained for. You don't expect it to ever become a reality. The biggest source of fear is the unknown. I think it's the unknown. The TV, the media, the fear. I am scared of what's to come. Do I have enough to give? We are asked to fight with little to no protection. Um, and then when we offer to bring our own, it's not allowed. It's like walking on eggshells the whole time wondering, Am I wearing enough to protect myself? Am I going to be able to take care of this patient? As a single mom, no, make that a solo mom with no one else to raise my kids. 
I worry every day I step into the hospital to work. Can I safely go home to my family and not worry about harming them? What if something happens? Who will take care of my kids? We signed up to do this, but we signed up to do it safely. Like I mentioned, medicine makes me be the best version of myself I can be, but it's hard to keep that up. And it's have this ideal that you want to live up to because everyone's telling you to and cheering you to, but you just kind of, at a certain point, you just can't. But at the end of the day, you leave work and there's notes all over the chalk sidewalk. People are so thankful that you're there to help them. So I feel joy, um, pride in the choice that I made to be a healthcare provider. Really all I want to do is be there for my team and do what I can do and to help them and to protect them and to be there for each other. Because this is what I signed up for, to care for others. Um, sometimes I have to catch my breath. <laughs> um, so these numbers that we've talked about, um, these are, we have to honor the humanity of our workforce. Um, I saw a presentation that Sachin Jane gave yesterday as part of health evolution and talking with many of the healthcare executives. And that was, I thought, um, a really good way to to think about this, that uh, we do have a changed workforce and it is beyond the numbers. The CDC just recently released data that they have that indicates that there are more than 62,000 reported cases of our healthcare colleagues who have become infected or ill and hospitalized. And tragically, um, you know, we're, we're of the reports, there are at least 300 of our healthcare workers who have died. So I think it's really important as we are um, recovering and we are moving back into uh, a practice, moving towards a full level of service, that we need to be mindful of how this, what this experience has been. And before all of um, the pandemic, we already knew the amount of stress that our healthcare workforce has been under. Um, we need to give some concrete, say, what do we need to be doing, Iman? You have been yeah. spending a lot of time coming up with very concrete solutions to address a range of needs that cover the emotional, the financial, the physical, and the spiritual. Yep, that's correct. So uh, I'll, I'll go into the, some of the solutions that uh, many of our clients are implementing. Um, before I do that, I, you know, we've read, all of us have read in the news about the layoffs, the furloughs, the cutting of hours, particularly the nurses that are not in the ICU or the ED. And so on top of <laughs> all of the workplace stress, there has been financial pressures uh, for healthcare workers as well. And we, we know doctors have been impacted as, as well. Um, and so what we saw on our platform is the hiring of ED and ICU nurses 
uh, went, went up dramatically, 50% or twice as much, compared to roles in other areas. Like for the first time ever, OR nurse hiring slowed down, right? Because elective surgeries had paused and there wasn't as much of a need for those staff. And then the other thing that we saw is the speed of hiring accelerated for these right. ER and ICU teams because of the urgency to hire. And so all of a sudden hospitals were open to doing interviews virtually instead of on site or in person. And they were doing whatever they could to get the staff. And so by late May, we are starting to see as hospitals are opening up, we are now starting to see a rebound in hiring for the OR, the PACU, like the other areas beyond the ICU and the ED. So some of the um, solutions that our uh, clients are implementing to support staff, uh, and this information is all just as of May 2020, look, th this pandemic was a shock to our health system. Uh, we were not adequately. A health system that was already under stress. Exactly. <laughs> it's not like, you know, it's like, let's just like not get overwhelmed at this exactly. point. Exactly. And so many hospital leaders spent, you know, March, April, like prepare, like preparing and getting all of this stuff in place uh, as, as, as quickly as possible. So one of the first and foremost is getting adequate PPE. We, there are still reports of many hospitals that are still struggling with this, but that is like a, a key area of focus. The second is implementing their infection control protocols. Unfortunately, the CDC was very slow with providing these protocols. And so many uh, hospital leaders had to come up with their own, right? And so that everything from the testing of patients and healthcare workers for COVID, separating out COVID versus non-COVID patients into, you know, having COVID specific units versus non-COVID units. Um, thinking a lot more thoughtfully about scheduling in the OR where like low risk or non-COVID patients are in the morning and those with COVID and high, are higher risk are in the afternoon. Of course, in addition, um, more increased cleaning of the units. A third thing is increase in mental health counseling. We mentioned earlier about the impact of the work, of the stress from COVID, the long hours, the, just the fear of, uh, of being infected as well. So they well, have- actually yeah, yeah let, let's let's Go talk ahead. about that from the standpoint of um, in a lot of these surveys where we've been talking to all the healthcare disciplines, um, anybody who's in there, the the things that they identify, the things that they are most that are causing them the greatest amount of stress. The first thing is they are all afraid of getting sick. They're afraid of contracting the virus, and so that's where all of the PPE and and our and the way we organize our our teams and how we're planning our surgeries in any of the care that we give. That's been huge. Second thing that they're worried about is then I don't want to get my family sick. So that really increases the fear that they have for their families. They're also talking about just the high levels of uncertainty of treating something that is brand new. They're, we're used to knowing how to do things. And this is completely brand new. We're figuring out the therapeutics. They've also talked about their fears of the financial impact as we have, you know, had this delay in surgeries or reduced the scheduling. They're concerned about the financial impacts and they're reasonably so. We've seen huge numbers of layoffs. People have been asked to take reductions in pay. And, and then the other part is they've talked about their emotional fears, the, the sense of, did I do enough? Did I do the right thing? Concerns about their colleagues and just the, em the emotion of the vigilance required to keep entire teams safe and keep other patients safe and wondering if they've done enough. Yeah. So. Um, so continue on. I mean, from the standpoint of getting the PPE addresses some of those fears, but the emotional well-being, these these are structural issues that need to be addressed. So how is it that you're recommending? I mean, when you're talking with the, the leaders, 
What are we doing to put in resilience program, have wellness offerings, remove the stigma? That's a big part. Anonymize, you know, the screenings. Yeah, I mean, it's everything you said is, is correct. I mean, they all, honestly, they like as of early May, they're still scrambling to put all this together, right? Like this is <laughs> this is a a huge rush to to put to put these programs in place, uh, particularly around mental health. They definitely were fa- uh, focusing on physical safety first, and then are now turning their attention to the mental safety. The the other thing is the uh, childcare, right? So. Well, this is the the other fear that they, yeah, that they've talked about is as we quickly get things back up to speed, talk about that. What are they, I mean, that's what they've said is there, I don't have any childcare and I'm afraid of getting my family infected and I don't have a place to stay. Our families are separated. It's, there are some very serious challenges just within the logistics. I mean, I've even heard some say it would be very helpful if they had people to do their laundry. Right. So what we've seen some hospitals do is expand their childcare benefits. Yeah. So they they will c- cover um, the cost of childcare because a lot you know a lot of these younger children are are home from school, right? Um, Try, hopefully then, being homeschooled, right? <laughs> maybe 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 not. <laughs> and then the, we they also had to the leaders also expanded sick leave, right? So. If you did contract COVID-19, there were, that triggered a whole nother set of benefits related to sick leave. That's different and on top and, and more expanded uh, than your just average sick leave. And then, and then on, on hiring, you know, they're really trying to reduce the number of people that need to cut new additional people that need to come on site. So they've really embraced the automated scheduling, the virtual interviews on hiring. And then of course we've seen, we've heard a ton about the embracing of telemedicine too. Yeah. So yeah. Let's talk about um, from the standpoint of one of the other things that is fundamental right now to being mindful of this changed workforce is culture building. So there are a lot of these logistics. Yep, I've got, um, we're going to get you all the PPE. Let's make sure you've got childcare. Let's make sure that you've got sick leave. Um, Let's make sure that you have transportation. For a lot of folks, they are concerned about having to be on public transportation. So we're addressing all of those things. We also need to be looking at um, infrastructure. How are we using technology better to remove what was already a huge amount of burden before all of this came, before the pandemic? So we've got the ability to um, think about how do we relieve some of the stress around the regulations and the compliance that were there, over-regulation, everything to do with um, things that were mind-numbing tasks. So I think we have the opportunity there. I, the part that I think we need to really think about is the culture that we're building. How are we building a culture that if we're caring and healers and healing institutions, what does it look like to build a culture of caring for the caregivers? Have you got some other data on that that you wanted to share? Um, I do have some, yeah. So hopefully late, there will be later sessions about telemedicine and virtual care. Yes, <laughs> we will. Okay, but our, our expertise is actually on... On, on staffing, which is often a, a, a top uh, priority for those running practices and those running hospitals. And so I want to share a little, a little bit of information on that, right? So yes. we mentioned earlier that the way our platform works is the employers are applying to the nurses instead of the other way around. We've built proprietary screening algorithms. We've built custom matching algorithms. That's layered in with a bunch of data analytics that enables teams to improve their hiring process. Because rapidly hiring and hiring the right people directly impacts your finances, as we said earlier, and your quality of care. You know, um, the, the other point that I think is that I've heard you talk about this, and I hadn't thought about it until I heard you say it, is when somebody gets hired rapidly, 
when they have a really good experience, it builds trust within your institution, excitement, like, wow, they are completely on top of this, as opposed to having this frustrating, why did it take so long? So can you just say a couple of um, things about the value that it creates as far as building culture? when you're able to rapidly hire. So yep. uh, HR teams call it call that the candidate experience, right? Okay, so right. When, they the language. <laughs> when, there, when, there is a, when there is a fantastic candidate experience, which majority of that is driven by speed, to be honest with you, uh, because the usual experience of healthcare workers is I painful, applied. Painful, yeah, painful. I, I applied to 15 <laughs> places. I never heard back. It's a black hole, you know, that those are the co- very common complaints, yes. even from those that are very experienced and specialized, right? And so teams that focus on this, this candidate experience component and the speed component have noticed that, that the employee ends up becoming more engaged, right? After they become an employee, they are more likely, likely to refer their own family members to the facility because they have a very positive impression of, of, of the facility. Just from how the they were door. treated, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's almost like hiring is, is like, it's like the front door and the very first experience your healthcare worker has with the company or with the employer. And, and so making sure that is a fantastic experience has many knock-on benefits as well. So um, really what ends up happening when they are using our platform is, in, and, and we talked about the role of automation, instead of manually sifting through these third-party job boards like Indeed, LinkedIn, Monster, or the, the, the hospital's job board, you are looking at a much smaller set of candidates that have been custom matched to you and already pre-screened. And this ends up saving a considerable amount of time for HR teams and hiring managers so they can honestly just basically do less work and get better results, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I wanted to do a quick poll exercise with everyone. Yeah, we've got, um, and we're, we're pretty close to, from the standpoint of, um, we are pretty close to wrapping up the session. Yep. So why don't we do a quick poll? and um, outline uh, what this hiring experience, candidate experience, what the typical one looks like. Yep, so what I have here is like across the top there, it's the standard hiring hiring process, right? you know, you find you find the candidates, the candidates get interviewed, the candidates gets interviewed by a hiring manager, job offers are sent, job offers are expected, are accepted. Um, and so I have three competitors. This is actually happens to be data from our LA market, from the LA market. Um, competitor A happens to have the highest salaries uh, in their market. Competitor B has the biggest brand, right? It's a global brand. Competitor three has a fastest speed in hiring. They are able to hire uh, in dramatically fewer days than their competitors. And so you can see the number of days and the amount of time that candidates are spending in each step of the process. So the poll for the for everyone is in what it by looking at this data, which of these three competitors, A, B, and C, hires the most candidates and also the most experienced and specialized candidates? Okay, so A was um, highest salaries. Highest salaries. B, biggest brand. Biggest brand. C is fa- fastest hire. Fastest speed to hire. Yeah. Okay. All right. So the votes are coming in. <laughs> fun watching how how this happens in real time and and why are we not doing online voting for everything yeah uh, i i hope that yeah i was gonna say i i feel safe in these results i don't feel like we've been hacked so good to know <laughs> okay so we have a clear winner or i was gonna say it's gonna keep going i invite people to keep voting um but the survey says 
C. And C the answer is C. Yeah. Okay. When we started, when we started this company, we were like, oh, it's gonna, it's so obvious. The people who pay the most and have the biggest brand are gonna hire the most. And our data definitively shows that those that hire the fastest, even if they don't have a great brand, a big brand, and even if they're not paying the most, actually hire the most. Okay. Um, and so, yes, there is a need for speed when when you're hired. <laughs> um, so I'll just wrap, I'll just wrap up. Um, you know, 68% of uh, candidates are accepting accept the very first offer they receive. So speed is a huge competitive advantage. Um, and I just end with um, just a quote from the chief HR officer at Stanford, who, you know, really, this is about our missions, our missions as facilities and healthcare workers all has to do with delivering quality care. And with mm -hmm. the ongoing shortage, it's taking his team longer and longer to find these ideal specialized experienced candidates. And with incredible health are consistently hiring under three weeks. So even with a massive brand like that, they still are using technology and, and, and embracing it to hire faster. Um, and so I just want to end with my contact info if anyone wants to get in touch. Oh, uh, I, was, I just I just took it off. I'm yeah, so sorry. That's OK. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah. I um, I'm just really grateful from the standpoint of all of the things that you guys are doing um, really. I, it's it's a, on behalf of my colleagues. It feels very personal. Um, yeah. This is generally yeah. a group of workers that's underappreciated and overworked. So we, you know, we, and that means a lot. Coming, we, you know, we we. It's nice to hear somebody else know that data and to be able to to vocalize that. I am in touch every day with so many people who are in the midst of taking care of patients. And I tell you the, their stories, it's, it's hard to hear the amount of suffering that they are seeing and having to uh, take on for the families who cannot be with them and then for their colleagues. And so as we, I am so excited for us to get back into delivering care because there's so much need. There was so much need before this pandemic. And I worry about those people who have not been able to get the care. And I know that we've got skilled, dedicated I think we just need to do it recognizing the humanity of our workforce. Absolutely. So we need to do whatever on. we can to support yes. these workers. Yes. Yeah. And and to we need to think about systems of caring. So again, with that, I will leave it and say yep. thank you. And we will see you online. Keep doing all those good things and keeping taking good care of our workforce. Right, great. Thank you so much, Sean. I appreciate it. Bye, Amon. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Digital Orthopedics Podcast. We aim to provide our global audience with practical and actionable knowledge for modernizing the way they deliver care to the orthopedic patient. If you like the podcast, please rate us on your favorite player or tell a friend. It only takes a minute and it makes a huge difference to us. Many thanks to our friends at Outcomes Rocket, the Health Podcast Network, and our producer, Dr. Sheila Toro, for their work on this season. Be well, stay safe. See you next time on the Digital Orthopedics Podcast.